Well, we're continuing in uh, Luke chapter 11. I want to, what I'll do is just take two verses, first of all. Um, I want to read Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It's a little bit added on to what we spoke about last week, so I'll take that first, and then we'll read the new section, which is 29 through to 36. So the two verses in Luke, Luke 11, 27 and 28 read, As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Just a very quick recap. If you remember from last week or just earlier in this chapter, uh, the Lord Jesus cast out a, a, a demon who was indwelling a man who, and it was causing him to be dumb. And as soon as the man, uh, the, the evil spirit left, then the, the man was able to speak. And the, the question that, that came out of all of this was that there were those among the group, if you remember, who um, claimed that Jesus was doing this with the power of Satan, which was an absolute insult, of course, that uh, for the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, to be uh, challenged in this way, that indeed he was only getting his power from Satan. And of course, he, he replied and uh, responded, as we talked about last week, that uh, about a kingdom being divided, that why, if he was working for Satan, would he cast out a demon? And so he, he challenged them uh, to think more logically. And, and really, I was just thinking, uh, uh, if I had been him, it, it would have been such an insult. Um, you would want to almost rise up in anger. And you wonder why the Lord didn't just walk away and think, you know, if they think I'm satanic, uh, they, they aren't seeing me or what I am at all. But anyway, this, when we come to the end of this section, this woman um, calls out from the crowd, blessed is your mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And uh, you might think that there's nothing wrong at all in what that woman said. Um, she is a woman, presumably, who had been listening to the Lord, had been seeing his miracles, had been challenged by them, and she was overjoyed and thrilled to see that they had such a man amongst them. And she cried out, you know, blessed is your mother. It's, it's quite natural, of course, to, uh, for us today to, you know, if you see a young man or woman uh, going on for the Lord, that you would think, well, they've been brought up well. <laughs> they've been well taught. And you would ascribe uh, some of the... Um, the success, if you want, to the, 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 their upbringing. And so maybe this is all this woman was doing. Just, you know, that your mum, your mum's looked after you well. Your mum's taught you well. But there's a serious side to this as well. And of course, if we know anything about Catholicism, we know that uh, the, the elevation that the, the Catholic faith have given to the mother of Christ 
way above anything uh, she's entitled to. Of course she was blessed. Uh, Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, was uh, chosen, uh, we believe, because of her righteous life. And she was somebody who accepted the prominence and the, the importance that she was being given to uh, have the Holy Spirit uh, come upon her and to be given the, the, the privilege of uh, bringing forth the Son of Man into this world. That is amazing and of course she knew as, as we read her prayer uh, that she would be blessed amongst women. She was blessed in as much that she was the chosen person who was given that job and to raise the Son of God uh, in, in, in human form was a marvellous privilege. But there's no way we should be worshipping Mary. Uh, that is all. There are many, many people, uh, uh, men and women in Scripture, that you would say were blessed and were privileged and were honoured in life. And we read about them and we honour them and we, we want to emulate them uh, for various reasons because of things that they've done or lives that they've led. And Mary's one of them. But she is certainly, she is an ordinary woman. And we should be very careful that we don't get sucked into worshipping um, people who are just like us. In other words, born in sin, uh, in need of a saviour. And Mary was like that, so she was no different. But the Lord Jesus, very lovely, the way he, he, he just responds, uh, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And of course he's very gently just pointing them away that yeah my mother had a role to play as did people like John the Baptist as did probably Jesus's father Joseph for whatever time he lived. Roles that they had to play. Uh, but the important thing is the word of God and as I said in my prayer the living word of God the 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 word that became flesh, and it was being able to see through this haze that can be put up by Satan, and sometimes uh, difficult to see through, is to see, well, look past this. The, the woman, Mary, is blessed. But what's a lot more important is him who became the word that became flesh as we read about in John chapter 1. The word that became flesh. And Jesus was pointing them to, it's for those who hear the word of God and obey it. That is a lot more important than focusing on somebody like Mary. So I just uh, sort of mentioned that. Um, I just want to also... Uh, if we could turn to First Peter, please. I'd like to read. Again, I say well-known, but like anything, it's only well-known if you know it. Well, First Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> and verse, we'll read from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. 
You also, like living stones, are being built in, up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. These, these words, again, just point to the importance of understanding and appreciating the chosen one of God and his purposes and understanding how we should respond to that. This picture here, and I think the general picture, of course, is that the Jews were rejecting Christ, who was amongst them. And this was shameful. Um, they were easily being diverted. And as we have read and thought about, the, even when the Lord Jesus gave them signs, which they continued to ask for, it became almost... Um, annoying, uh, repetitive and upsetting that they kept asking for sign and they weren't wanting the signs for the right reasons. They were only wanting to be there when something miraculous happened so they could have someone to talk over dinner. Uh, it was only something they wanted to uh, be able to uh, have a, co as a conversation piece. They weren't focused on who it was that was providing the miracles and what the miracles were teaching and what was behind it all. And even when this woman cries out, you know, uh, blessed is your mother, Jesus could see the heart and he said, you're not seeing the picture. Uh, whilst that's partly true, um, focus on the more important thing of reading the word of God and obeying his word. Let's just go on uh, and we'll read the, the rest of this section. So it's uh, Luke chapter 11 and read from verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South, that's the Queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come to, to for, sorry, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body 
also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. The teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is always very profound. I think the, the way he, he says things are just, they make you stop and think. Sometimes, you know, I, I've read things the Lord has said, and you think, what, what, surely he could have said that more simply. <laughs> because I don't understand it, and I have to go back and read it again and read it again and pick up something else he's, he's said and tie it in with somebody something else somebody else has said and then it begins to dawn on you that was the whole point of it <laughs> he wanted me to do that and it was necessary for me to get into the word so that the light may shine the Lord referred to this crowd of people that they were a wicked generation it's very sad you know that although the Lord knew this and although he chose the time to come, he knew he was coming into a generation of wickedness. It was coming into a, 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 a generation where I, I believe that Satan was really probably more active, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ was there, the light of the world. He was more active then, trying to dissuade people against the Lord. I, a difficult generation, a wicked generation, one that kept asking for these signs. And although the Lord had been giving them sign after sign after sign, what did they do? They just kept asking for more. Or they kept challenging him as to where he got his power from. Which was just insulting, if nothing else. He talked about the, the only sign that you're going to get. And what he was really homing in on is this, the sign of Jonah. So despite all these other signs that he'd given them, what he's saying to them now is you're only getting one more sign that's going to really um, challenge you. And it's the sign of Jonah. And he talked about the Queen of the South, which it says here, which is the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon. So these were the two things that he brought into the equation here. If you remember the, the story of Jonah, of course, which is well known from your Sunday school days, it was as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale or the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah refused God. God had asked him to go and preach to Nineveh, which were a sinful city, and saying to them, repent or I'm going to destroy you. Jonah didn't want to go. They were Gentile people. They were not somebody he was interested in. And he disobeyed God in you know, the story. He tried to hide from God. He tried to run away from God. And God brought him to his knees inside a whale or a fish where he pled with God. And God resurrected him in the form of uh, causing the fish to vomit out onto the shore 
and Joseph, Joseph, Jonah, um, as you know, uh, lived on. And of course, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ dying and being raised again. Now, what was very clear was that the, the Ninevites must have got to know about that because this was something miraculous. The people who threw Jonah into the water saw the fish swallow him. They would have seen immediately the calming of the waters. And then three days later, Jonah walks into Nineveh. It was a miracle and everybody would have known about it. And that caused that sign and the preaching of, of Jonah caused the Ninevites to repent. And it was apparently a massive city. Um, I was actually just reading in the back of my Bible um, earlier this week about Nineveh, mm -hmm. that in the middle of the 19th century, there was a, a British historian had had gone and found the, the uh, remains of this city. And it was seven and a half miles all the way around it, or what was left of the wall anyway. And apparently, from records, there was uh, about 130,000 people lived there. So in these days, it was a, a massive city with high walls, a powerful city, a strong city, uh, powerful people. And they were involved in wars as well, which is in the history of it all. But what's remarkable in this story is, of course, Jonah goes in and he preaches and they all repent, right from the king of Nineveh to them all. They all gave up their sinful ways and um, came down on their knees with sackcloth and ashes. They went before God and they asked for forgiveness and God granted it to them. You know the story, Jonah was upset about that, but the, the, the main point of it that, that the Lord is bringing out here is that in that day, because of the sign of Jonah, people repented. And what you have today is a greater than Jonah, far greater than Jonah here. And he's telling you to repent and you're not listening to him. And so these people who saw the sign of Jonah, they understood their need for forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness, and they got it before God. You are just an evil generation, and you're blinded. So he then switched on to the Queen of Sheba, and the story of the Queen of Sheba was that as she was, was somebody who had heard about the glory of Solomon. And she lived a long way away, access to the ends of the earth. Um, certainly, it would have, we imagine, have been the known earth at the time. So we believe that she came from somewhere in Africa uh, and had journeyed quite a long way to come and see for herself she had heard of what Solomon's glory was <coughs> but she wanted to see it and so she came and you know the story about that when she saw it she said the half has not been told me so she saw for herself 
and she believed him. What was it that was powerful to her? Was that Solomon's glory was clearly given by God and that he had been given this by the hand of God and that she had journeyed in order to see this glory. And of course, what the Lord is challenging the, this sinful generation of the Jews is saying, look, look, if this woman was prepared to do that, what was her mind like? She had an active, inquisitive mind and she wanted to see for herself. And she was prepared to do what was necessary, which in her case was a long, long journey and in these days would not have been very comfortable in order for her inquisitiveness to be satisfied. And of course, what he's challenging them is, you have got a greater than Solomon among you. You've got him on your doorstep. Um, you don't have to um, go as far as the ends of the earth in order to find him or to see this glory. And yet you're rejecting it. The challenges there are obvious for us. If for, in the story of Jonah, um, the, the challenge is about salvation, about seeing Christ, who he is, the Son of God who has come to die, but has come to be raised from the dead. He's come to overcome the power of death. And what the challenge is, is the inquisitive mind seeing that for what it is. It's, just, it's not just a a nice story is not just a miraculous sign it is something far greater than that we are talking about <coughs> eternal life and he's not say he's mocking but he's challenging the this evil generation and he's he knows their hearts and he knows they're going to walk away shaking their heads and saying they don't believe he knows that and this is why he's He's saying what he's saying. There were obviously some amongst them that believed. And the, he's saying that these people will judge you. That's interesting, you know, in the, in, he's, he's getting them to think ahead, think to the future. Because there only is a limited time for all of us we often talk about this in the salvation context, that you, you have to believe on this earth. You have to, uh, in a limited time, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. You, you don't have long, you don't know how long you've got, but whatever length it is, it's not that long. And so therefore, you have to be challenged and you have to be alert. You have to have your eyes opened and you have to respond. And uh, going on to the, the Queen of Sheba, she already had her eyes opened. She was already an inquisitive person. She was somebody who wanted to see. And from her teaching, from what she had been told, had, um, I'm going to say, got her juices going, <laughs> had got her really interested that she was prepared to do what she needed to do to see the glory of God. 
And of course the challenge for us here is the same. In our limited time, once we have got the Holy Spirit within us, which we're going to talk about in a minute, about the light, the revelation and being having your eyes opened is how does that motivate you? Are you going into the word of God in order to see the glory of God? The glory of God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. So if we want to see the glory of God, we need to be in the word. So is our juices being um, stirred up? Are we interested enough? And because like this evil generation the Lord was talking to is that they'll be judged by the Queen of Sheba. She's going to say to them, in effect, how that will happen, I'm not sure, but obviously through the judgment of, of God, uh, they're going to be challenged. And, and she is effectively going to say, well, I was motivated to come from the other side of the world. And I wanted to see this. What about those people that had it in their hands? What about this evil generation that had the person of Christ living amongst them and they couldn't see him? And they weren't motivated to, to listen to him and to find out who he was and what he was saying and how it, what it meant to them. The challenge is still the same today. We have the living word in our hand. How challenged are we? How motivated are we to see the glory of God? We don't have to tra travel to the other end of the world to see the glory of God. And yet, as we often think, sometimes if it's too easy, we don't bother. Is that an excuse? It's not. Because the Queen of Sheba is going to judge. And she is going to, she saw Solomon. And she saw the glory of Solomon. And what that must have been like must have been amazing. He was one of the greatest kings at that period of time in the world. And with the amount of uh, power and wealth that he had, it had been given to him by God. Uh, passed on first by his father, uh, because his father had destroyed all the enemies. <coughs> and so he was able to build on that. And you were able to then at that point in time, which was... Um, not that long really, but um, to see the power of God working amongst an obedient people who they were at that time. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, but a greater than Solomon is here. It's, again, I find it so challenging myself that uh, there's things that we would do uh, if we wanted to go and see something that was glorious, even in a worldly context, uh, some great building or some great man-made vehicle or spacecraft or whatever, we would be motivated because it's something that uh, stirs our interest. Um, when we go into the Word of God, and those of you here know this as well as me but I'll say it anyway <coughs> is that you keep digging and you keep finding nuggets you keep finding things that you never saw before even in scriptures that you think you knew so well and the Lord is continuing to show forth 
his glory. Uh, he is amongst us. We who are in Christ, we who are the Holy Spirit within us, we have no limitations as to what levels or heights or whatever you want to put it of the glory of God can be revealed to us. This is why it can be so annoying sometimes, I think, when you hear people will point to some other people and think, I wish I knew what he knew or she knows, or, or I wish I understood like he or she does uh, from the scripture. That's down to us. It's down to the time that we want to spend. It's down to the interest that we have in the things of God. And it's appreciating that we're only here on this earth for a very short space of time. And what we do here, and what we gather here, what is revealed to us, is going to uh, affect us in the future. Because I believe that when it talks about um, being having the Queen of the South rising up and judging, is that there'll be a sense of loss because of what we have prioritised in our lives here. And it all comes back to the Word of God. How well do you know God? Is how well do you know the Scriptures? It's not a, a competition about how, how, whether you can recite Scriptures quicker than anybody else or whatever. It's seeing God. It's appreciating him. It's following him. It's wanting to worship. It's responding in our lives. Is our lives Christ-like? Are we understanding what effect does the Jonah situation have in our lives? What effect did the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ went into the earth for three days and rose again? It comes off our tongues very quickly. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he rose again. Move on. What does that mean? And I suppose the challenge the Lord was making here is this is the sign that I'm giving you, and that you're going to see it. And the challenge is going to be what does that mean to you? How does that affect you? Look at how the Ninevites responded. Do you and I respond like that? When we come together as a holy priesthood on a Lord's Day morning, that is reflected in our appreciation. The fact that we're here is a big plus. You see the importance of being here because God has said, I want you to be here. You are a holy priesthood. We read it in First Peter 2. You're a holy, a holy priesthood. You are special. You have come together and you've come in Christ to offer sacrifices. So the fact that we've come is a recognition that we need to be here physically to gather. And then the re recognition of the spiritual ascension and the recognition of the offering of thanksgiving is also understanding and appreciating what that sign meant. In other words, what did it mean, Christ's death and his resurrection? 
what does it mean to me? If it doesn't mean very much, then you've not got any very much to say about it. You see the challenge. <laughs> the Ninevites responded and a whole city of 130,000 people just rent their clothes, changed their lifestyle and got down on their knees before the Lord and pleaded for repentance. The generation the Lord Jesus Christ came to, they laughed at him and crucified him. And the judgment is coming. Our point of view is we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. We have eternal security. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to be standing before the Lord in judgment. We will be there at the judgment seat of Christ. So, it's, I think the Lord was, was, he was talking to this evil generation. He was also talking to his disciples. And it's been recorded in the scripture, in the living word. So it's for us as well. The lamp, just going, just the last thing to think about really, is the, was the picture that he taught that no one lights a lamp and puts it and hides it under the bowl. And of course this is reinforcing what he's saying is that we have the light. The light is Christ and the light is shining us. But it's the light of your soul that matters. They had the light with them and the Lord was saying to them don't hide it away. He said the eye it's what sees the light. And if you're blind or you have bad eyesight, then you don't appreciate the light. And therefore the light doesn't shine and reflect in your body. It's all about discernment, I think. I think that's maybe the, the word I'll leave with you is discernment. Uh, because it's what we see. <coughs> The light of the world was, was, was there uh, in person and they couldn't see. Their life was in darkness because they had bad sight. Um, others saw the light and the light shone in them and therefore they were able to reflect him and people could see that in their lives. The challenge is there to us of course and that we often talk about this how christ-like are you how christ-like am i the question about sometimes it's happened to me when you've been in somebody's company particularly in the work situations and you happen to mention after a few years that you've been talking to him that you're a christian and you go to church and they say oh i didn't know you were a christian and immediately you feel that size thank you well, <clears throat> obviously the way I was acting hadn't really caused them to consider that I was reflecting Christ. There's other times when people say to you, I thought there was something different about you. And then you feel a bit better <laughs> because they have seen something in you. You know, they, sometimes it can be sad when we, we read the Lord and the, the fact that he was 
for three years journeying amongst a people who didn't want him. And as we've been reading, were wanting to kill him, were wanting to get rid of him because he was upsetting the nice, peaceful, planned life that they had, which they had distorted the law of Moses to such an uh, extent that uh, there were powerful people that were making sure nobody rocked the boat. And of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he rocked the boat and they didn't like him. And that, along the darkness and the mockery, they just wanted rid of him. So even going through all of that, and this is where the, you know, you just ooze love for the Lord Jesus, that despite all of that, he still set his face like flint. He still never wavered. He even wept over the people of Jerusalem, knowing that they had rejected them. He'd longed to have them, but they'd rejected them. He still went to the cross. I still, even on the cross, could look down and say, what is it to you, all you people that are passing by? Is it nothing to you? He's challenging them there. Even what's discernment? What is it you see? What do you understand? What, why am I doing this? Do you not understand? And the challenge was going out, but he loved us and he still went through with it. And now he's waited, or God has waited 2,000 years. <laughs> and he's waiting for more to come to him until he will say, that's it. He'll turn to his son and say, go for your people. Those that have seen the light, those that have received the light, those that have received the word. So I'll leave these thoughts with you. They're uh, the sign of Jonah, the, sign, the judgment of the Queen of Sheba, and uh, the lamp to the body, the light, and the response that we should have if we have eyes that see, understand, and have discernment. Shall we pray? Blessed God, we again just give you thanks for the opportunity. After having given to you, O God, and to given you priority in our remembrance this morning, we can now read and understand and appreciate of what you can give us and help us in our lives. So we give to God first and then we live our lives reflecting, we pray, the beauties and the glories of Christ. So we pray for your continued help and blessing and guidance as we sometimes struggle so hard in our lives and being what we loosely call good Christians. But our prayer, O oh God, is that our motivation might be very clear, that if we see clearly in our mind's eye, if we have the light shining brightly and we have eyes that are wide open, that that will be all the motivation we need because we see Christ. Therefore, we want to talk about him. We want to live like him. We want to be like him. 
And we just pray you'll help each and every one of us do that as we ask it all in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.